are still here. Episode five, six, four, I don't know. three, two, one. I don't know. We don't play by anyone's rules. No, not on this podcast. <laughs> obviously. Never. Yeah. For, obviously, um, <laughs> where, I mean, this podcast is purely based on facts and is totally professional. No unopinionated journalism, but um. Oh, we can't bring journalism. Don't <laughs> that's don't mar my Generally, name with the word the J word. <laughs> the J word is um banned from the podcast, <laughs> but um, yeah. To any J words out there, baby, I'm so sorry. This is not the a way safe we're space directly talking to one, one person. person. <laughs> we're both thinking of them right no, now. No, I was thinking about this. Now I don't know what our listenership is. I don't like to look at the stats. But I do know that there's a couple bad bitches out there with their ears wide open. And I have to say, y'all are our allies. You know who I'm talking about. Megan. <laughs> Love you, bitch. It's true. I know she listens. It's my it's my cousin. You don't dox her. Uh, well, okay. She's a woman I know. You could just... <laughs> what a kitsch. She's my family. A woman I'm very familiar with. Okay. Let me rephrase. A woman I'm very familiar with, whom I may or may not be biologically related to, who I know, baby, you're out there listening. The rest of the family don't care. It's true. I don't even think my grandma listens. She pret- I won't oh say. Oh my God. <laughs> you know what that reminds me of? What? Oh my God. There's this book. <laughs> the Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. No. About family? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, should we read it? Oh, well, here's the thing. <laughs> I already read it. Wait, oh my god, you're lying. I'm not, though. Wait, because I already did, too. Even though you're a pathological liar. Y'all should have seen my April Fool's Day, baby. I was, <laughs> that's my, the thing about it is, it does not, every day is April Fool's Day. Like, I just be lying. Ask anyone you know. Like, this whole podcast, I haven't, y'all think I've been reading these books? He's I, reading the spark notes. I was, I made all this up on the spot. Like, that's my special skill. I'm also an actor. Oh my god! Um, I was in Rami. Yeah. Um, you know, speaking of vanishing half, <laughs> there's a lot of lying and acting. Yeah. In vanishing half, I feel like you love this book. I feel like I love this book. I love any book that starts with a bitch walking into town and she's been missing and I, then leaving town. Yeah, I love the mysterious woman is back on the block. Whoa, I love that. Small town novels, I generally like. And this is, is starts off as a small town novel. This book is called The Vanishing, the Vanishing Path by... Britt Bennett. Um, not a debut novel, right? We no. Just, so... But this book is everywhere. This book is everywhere. This book... I can't turn my head and not see this book. It's sort of like consumed the social media feeds that aren't even this podcast social media like i on my private social media well not private but personal i have people who are posting about it posting that the author's coming to their college like this book is it hit the gp like she's the moment like she's topping the literally the charts are there book charts listen when this becomes a movie we would have already read it so yeah this is gonna be oh it's you know it's gonna be a limited series i read this oh yeah i'm really interested who they're gonna cast because this book Ooh. is a book about twins, and I think it could be an interesting time to the cast. same person? Yeah. I think yes. they could do, they could pull up. Bring um, it back to Parent Arm- Trap. Okay, I hate that I keep bringing this person up, <laughs> okay. but they could pull an Army Hammer in the social network. <laughs> I'm not an Army Hammer fan. I swear on my life. I, there's just something about this podcast that brings him out in me. I don't know what it is, but. That is terrifying. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but he keeps popping up because if anyone saw the social network, surprisingly, like a pretty good film. See, I said the parent trap. You had to go social network. Because I just watched it with Joe, a friend of mine and a friend of the pod. Hey, Joe, I know you're not listening. Wink. Um, if there's anything I know, I know Joe is not listening. No, she'll be here at eight. She has a key. She'll pop in. She said, like, what are you doing today? She's like, I'm coming over early. I'm like, oh, I'm still recording. I'm pretty sure she's probably like recording what? I don't even think she cares or knows. But, um... Anyway, this is a book about twins, um, and it's a book about... First of all, it's a book about a lot of things, so before... It's a book about identity. A book about identity, about lies, about the past and the future meeting each other, I think. And I love um, the way the author is able to put all that into one book that's also about race, so to clarify, neither of us are black. 
any, all of your opinions on this pretty much don't matter. But looking at it from an objective perspective, um, this book is excellent at illustrating, like... I thought you were going to say excellent period. Oh, yeah, excellent period. You, you could just fill in the blank. Excellent at character study, excellent at surprising you, excellent at just, like, word choice. Like, it's, it's engaging... It's- sort of beautifully written (laughs) there are times i was like wait a second she's not doing this right now i sometimes hate books with time jumps but i loved the way this book skips it worked so incredibly well because you every time jump it it didn't feel like ancillary and it it started off the first time was uh jarring because really did not expect it because she's yeah (laughs) <laughs> i'm like she should talk because i didn't expect it and the author does a really good job of leading you all the way up to the summit of a mountain and then you just go to a different mountain like yeah. you you think something's gonna happen and there's this whole trajectory but it Those doesn't cliffhanger yeah it's there's multiple cliffhangers that's why you could see it written so well it's into like, a limited series she's like she's not saying like i'm gonna take you along for the ride she said i'm gonna make you think like you're Physically, like, mentally taxing yourself while you're reading this book, trying to put things together. Because mm-hmm. you learn things out of place, and then you sort of try to, like, really make sense of it. Mm-hmm. But when it you do find out what happens, you're still surprised. Always. Because it's not easy to, like, put the little, tie the knots in this book. And no one, I feel like it's hard to enjoy when you're, st- when you've been reading and you're invested in a character for, like, 80 to 100 pages to then start all over with a new character it can be exhausting when you're reading but not when you're reading this book you don't meet one of the main characters like really meet them until halfway through the book Mm -hmm. um and you've been waiting like she makes you wait the whole book is about this person and you don't get to know who they are until um finally um we meet them halfway through um and this character is actually one of the two twins um and the theme of this book is something it's it's duality it's the polarization of of not i mean not literally black and white but also kind of like literally it's about race but we have two opposites who complement each other so well and they're twins they're twin sisters and their names are desiree and stella and the basis for this book what this book if you could sum it up it's simply just about um what what defines race in a world in a culture where like race is a social construct and if we are to look at it as a social construct is it wrong to pass over between races if race itself isn't real and if that sounds super complicated it is but you have to to sounds almost science fiction yes and when you honestly when you're reading the cover of the book it doesn't even make full sense to no. me there's the the author's so mysterious and vague about well what the hell do you mean like i don't understand it's and really what it is is um, not too hard to grasp. And it's just that there's this imaginary town because it simply doesn't really have borders, but it's, it's, it's again, it's this social construct that these people all live together in, in, in this town called Mallard, where for generations, um, light skinned people, black, who are African American with lighter, lighter skin have intermarried for generations with the goal of creating a town or just this environment where, um, they all pass as white sort of in a way to separate themselves from being black because they don't look black so they say multiple times that there's characters with like red hair and um pale skin freckles but to the to everyone in there that lives outside their outside environment they're probably seen as white but within their world of this of the american style from 1960s and 50s they're still seen as black by people who know that they're white it's sort of like um as a biracial person (laughs) not to talk about me but like, I'm really, I really only like culturally connect with my immediate like siblings about things. Like I can't even connect to like my parents in the same way that like I would with my brothers and sisters simply because like my mom is Chinese and my dad is white. They don't understand the 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 idea of like that intermixing and what that does to people. So like uh, reading this book speaks to me in that way because I do see a lot of like they aren't considered black but they aren't considered white either so they've decided this whole town collectively to sort of stay within their own walls and their own community because that's what's comfortable to them 
And I would say they do it for safety reasons. Yeah. And it's seen as a good thing. But it's also sad because it's, it's inherently colorist. Mm-hmm. And they are their own sector of prejudiced people. They do not like dark-skinned black people or people who are perceived as black. And, and they don't like white people either. Yeah, yeah. So, and it's simply because, you know, and look at, it makes a statement on racism in America. And it's like, they're only black because people know they're black. Yeah. Um, the one drop rule, not that that's like a real concept, but something that people will say like, oh, well, how much black do you have in you? Like, is your great, great grandfather black? Well, at one point in America, you would be seen as black and labeled. And, you know, many of us, you know, without explaining the history of racism in America, that's the concept for this town. And these twins are given the opportunity. Um, they're well, they yeah. make this opportunity. They make the opportunity... I say given, I guess, because they see a window. The town's going to be distracted. Let's run away. And when we leave and we go into the outside world, leaving this town is a big deal because, like, once you're there, you don't want to leave. No one leaves because it is sort of, like, safety. Their parents have been there. They actually come from... The town, they're the, like, the, the, there's a the legacy town founder of ta- is, like, is their, their great-grandfather. Yeah, so their their family at one point was integral to the town. They can't leave. They're taught there's no reason to ever leave. This is our bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not 100 They see at a young age that they're actually not 100% safe from danger reaching them because something foundational to both of their identities, these two young girls, that they witness the horrific lynching of their father by white people mm-hmm. um, for reasons that I don't exactly remember the details, but I think the purpose is that there really is no reason. Yeah. Um, and st- despite them passing as white they're still not seen as it. Um, and that fear follows both of them for their entire lives. Obviously, it's something they witness when they're like six. Um, and and when... they react to it very differently. And that's when you're sort of introduced to their different personalities and mm-hmm. how opposing they are. Um, do you want to talk about how they're different? Yeah. So, um, Stella is sort of your classic bookworm. Like, she's very... Love a bookworm. Mean. Always book hungry, Hello? would you say? she she loves school and she's very reserved uh and she doesn't like she doesn't talk to boys blah 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 meanwhile miss desiree over here she wants to be an actor you know it sort of reminds me of like you and me (gasps) (laughs) um desiree's more precocious flirtatious she's unfocused just a teen girl in the world stella won't let you know her yeah yeah Closed off. Rational. Mm-hmm. Logical. We just keep going back and forth saying synonyms. <laughs> um, but anyway, they leave. Um, and when they do leave, it's when they're given this option of, well, now that we don't exist in Mallard, well, let's behave as black. Let, let's, you know, we they're, are they're, black. They're black. Yeah. They recognize that. But in small ways, you know, they, they aren't because it's all about how others see them, which you can't always control, but when certain characters like Stella recognize that she is passing as white, um, it changes her life. Yeah. And her whole trajectory. She finds little opportunities to, like, experience... She even says in the book, I think much later, but she says that, like, being white was freedom to her. Where, like, she was able to do things the way she wanted to because... She's always wanted to go to college, but she had to drop out of high school because her parents, her, her mother at that point, needed them to work. Like, mm-hmm. there were so many options for her that were closed off because of her race. Um, and then being white, she was all of a sudden allowed to be in a museum on a white day. Like, those were like pivotal experiences for her. So when she gets the opportunity or when she's sort of urged by Desiree to get this job that a black person would normally not be able to, she she's apprehensive, of, of course. She doesn't really know if she could pass, but she gets the job and that job changes her life because it proves to her that like she can just keep playing this game for the rest of her life. And this is where the theme of like lies is really introduced because mm-hmm. from the moment that we actually meet these characters, the twins, Desiree explicitly says, and I wrote it down in the notes app on my phone because I said, ooh, this will be relevant. She said, Stella is a bad liar. 
I'm the liar. Yeah. I'm the actress. Mm-hmm. I was in the school play. Stella would never be able to do that. When our father died, she couldn't say how she felt. She, you could always read her emotions on her sleeve. Like she could never pretend she felt some sort of way. She's not that girl. Well, the irony of the situation is that Stella ends up being the first to say, I'm out. In all senses, betrays her sister and yeah. decides, I'm going to escape and I'm going to earn freedom. And I'm given the opportunity to leave my sister if I move across the country with my boss to be his secretary who thinks I'm white. And she doesn't ask permission to do it. She knows it would upset her sister, so she just leaves. And um, obviously this changes both the girls' lives and sets up now, well, if Stella is perceived as white, no family that is black is tied to her. Um, She's working as a white woman. She's marrying a white man. And she's going to have white children. Has she officially crossed over? Should she be considered white? Um, And you think maybe, okay, well, she's good. She's safe. She should feel safe, but she never does. No, because I think deep down, like culturally, she she doesn't run away because she like hates her family. No. She loves Desiree deeply and she feels the grief over losing her for the rest of her life. It mm. haunts her. Yeah. And that's what gets her. That's why she's so paranoid because fundamentally, like intrinsically, she knows she's not white like and that again we're talking about how race is a social construct um and i think specifically like in the time this book actually takes place from like the 50s to the 90s which is a a large period of time (laughs) but it's like the the changes culturally there aren't as much as would allow her to be free with herself again she says in the book in your nothingness like you can feel free yeah and i think it sums up the idea she doesn't feel white because she's not but she doesn't feel black because she no longer is so it's like she's nothing and she's constantly afraid of being discovered she actually turns out to be a very racist woman Mm -hmm. and fights against a black family moving into her this is in the future when she's married and has a daughter um, her, obviously her whole family is white. Um, I mean, you, you could say the daughter is black because technically her mother is black, but the, of course they all think they're white. Um, and she tries to stop a black family from moving into the neighborhood, yet befriends the woman yeah. and gets close to her. And, um, because she's desperate for that cultural connection and just because the woman reminds her so much of Desiree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Desiree. Desiree. Not as much, for, for me I found Stella to be the more interesting character because She's really the one who makes these intense decisions. Mm. Desiree follows. Um, she's obviously very affected by her upbringing, and she knows that she can never pass as white. I think she's shocked that Stella would ever even choose to do that. So she ends up getting a job marrying someone who's dark skin. Mm-hmm. Um, That's the other thing. Like Desiree was always rebelling, mm-hmm. right? And uh, people, when she got married, she knew like her mom would be like, you're just doing that to spite me because why would you marry a dark-skinned man? Like, Yeah, they're taught to just dehumanize people who don't have light skin. Like, it's not... There's no... They can never fathom, like, oh, you're actually in love with them? Like, you never could You're be. just doing that out of spite. Yeah. That's just the, the opinion of the town. And from this relationship, she does get a daughter who becomes a main character in this book, yeah. which is, for me, the first unexpected turn of events. Yeah. Because we meet the daughter when she's a child, and her name is Jude. And the very first page of the book is Desiree Vines. Yeah. Beans, beans, yeah. There's like V-I-G-N-E-S. Has returned to the town with a, a, a young girl whose skin is just black. Like You wouldn't they, they, like necessarily consider them mother and daughter. Never. Just because their skin tones are just exact opposite. Because um, the girl is described on multiple occasions as the darkest girl anyone in the town has ever seen. So how could it be that? Like blue-black. That's yeah. what they call her. How could she ever be biologically related to Desiree? Um, and she is. That's her biological daughter because of, obviously, the genetics of her husband who was dark-skinned. They have to leave the husband because it's an abusive relationship. And we find Desiree back in Mallard, living with her mother, raising a dark-skinned child in a very prejudiced, light-skinned town, and Stella off pretending to be white. In Los Angeles. In L.A., Again, it's a lot of, like, push and pull where Desiree is stuck in this, like, sort of um, a poor lower class community where 
uh, Stella has found herself wealthy, like extremely wealthy in Beverly Hills. So you see that. And then you see their daughters who come out, their respective daughters sort of have their personal, like the personality of their twin. Yeah. So it's kind of like, it's funny. It's like, you know, when like in cartoons, characters have babies and like the boy has like yes. the mom's hair yeah. and the girl has like the dad's hair. Yeah, they just did that in this They just book. did that in this book, but like with their daughters. So Jude, who is uh, Desiree's da- uh, daughter, very much has the personality of what Stella was like as a child. I'll say that because Stella changes a lot when she mm-hmm. grows up. And then... Um, Kennedy. <laughs> Kennedy. <laughs> Which is like such a funny name. And like a very appropriate... I don't know why, but it's like... It's a very like appropriate, Kennedy like Americana, st- like white, like yeah. we love America. Mm-hmm. This is our country name. But like Kennedy is very much like Desiree as a child. So they're mm-hmm. sort of like... I think for these mothers, they're like... They're sort of... Their daughters completely... Perhaps it's the half that vanished coming oh. back to them. Ooh. Yeah, they lost their sisters, but they gained what they lost in their daughters. Yeah. And that's why each of them have somewhat of a rocky relationship with their daughter because they don't understand them. Mm-hmm. So, Jude. Jude. I think Jude sort of becomes... Takes over the role of, like, the main protagonist. There's no main protagonist, but I do think she... She sort of makes everything happen. Yeah, she juggles the plot the most. Yeah. She's the connecting thread. And I love, too, that we see... Originally, you have to feel bad for her. She's mm-hmm. a little girl who came from, you know, has an abusive father. And is stuck in a town with all basically white people. And she's, like, dark skin. So, it's just... that There's that whole image of growing up like that. She escapes and goes to L.A. because she earned that for herself. Yeah. She focused in school. She's a great runner. And she ran her ass away. Mm-hmm. Desiree doesn't understand it but knows that her daughter has to be free and do her thing. Where Kennedy you know, Kennedy and Jude are also polarized just much like the sisters. Like how we just said, they represent the twins and how they're opposite. These two girls represent a lot about the privilege that white people have. Where Kennedy yeah. is invited to be multifarious, try different things throughout her childhood. She has th- these options. She's going to drop out of college give up these things, become an actress be on a soap opera, blah flip-flop around to whatever she wants, be more flippant with her life. Jude, her whole life is relegated to this unremarkable existence. She's not given a personality when she's younger because no one wants to be her friend. No one knows her. And, you know, you see that manifest when they're adults. And one of the best parts of the book is when these two characters have an unlikely meeting. And mm-hmm. I will say, I predicted it. I knew it. Yes. I was reading it. And, you know, when you're there's reading, a certain point there, in that book where you realize, oh, something's you, about to you happen. You turn the page and you see the chapter's ending yeah. on that next page. And all of a sudden, this uh, Jude is at a party and she's like, all of a sudden, this blonde girl. And we had not met Stella yet. So it's been a long time yeah. into this book. And this blonde girl with light skin and bright blue eyes, we lock eye contact. And I went, oh my God, Stella's daughter. Like, I immediately knew, even though I had no reason to believe that Stella would be in LA where Jude had run away to and is working. Or that Stella would even have a daughter. I just, like, knew. Um, But it was still a brilliant way to introduce it. Um, And again, uh, just the way it jumps around from... The book jumps from character to character. Britt Bennett does really well because she just juggles it. You never lose focus. It's always very easy to follow um, and smartly written. So I I love that about it. Yeah. Now, we're reading this book. And I'm, like, minding my business. And I'm, like, this is a great book. Like, it's so smart. Like... It's such an insightful book on race. And when Jude goes to LA, she meets this cute boy. She's like, oh, he is like handsome as fuck. Like we've connected immediately. And this is a big deal for her too, because she just came from being one of the most overlooked people in her whole town. She grew up in a town of all light skinned people who are racist. Right. So she obviously, you know, we learned she doesn't really consider herself beautiful, beautiful, but she meets this boy, and um, there's an immediate connection that she can't explain, but it's there. Now, because this book is written in, what is it, like third-person omniscient, it just guides between all different perspectives. It's, a chapter starts, and this character's name is Reese. Reese. And, like, the book starts, a, a new chapter begins, and it's like, Therese something uh, left, where were they from? I forget. Uh, somewhere Texas in Texas. Texas. Um, at this age, cut all their hair off in a bathroom stall, running to LA. And I'm like, oh, Therese. I'm like, okay, yeah. so Therese must be like a, I'm thinking it's just like a genderless name. Like you could name a boy yeah. or a girl Therese. Cause it didn't, I'm not familiar. I don't know anyone with that name anyway. And then it becomes clear that this character 
is transgender. Yeah. And I'm like... The gag. There was the gag. Because we went into this book thinking, oh, it's just, you know, another book. Yeah. It's not necessarily gay. We don't have to read gay Listen, books. I know we're GBF, but like, it's not like every book has to be. Like, we're a little homophobic sometimes, too. <laughs> I don't need to pick I'm up. I'm going to keep that in your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to repeat that. Well, no, we're said. not obsessed with just reading gay stories. Like, yeah. come on, we get a little tired. I mean, this. But it was a nice little surprise. A beautiful surprise. We were like, oh, oh, transgender man and then we're like oh drag queens yeah <laughs> drag i was like out of left field i'm like wait so you're telling me this a, a book- gbf yes literally <laughs> this girl gains herself like a 40 year old just gay bestie who does drag we then also cover some of the aids crisis later in the yes. book like this author i don't know if she's queer but really did her due diligence to i'm going to pay respect to all these facets of um, of like american history like mm-hmm. and we're going to do it through the lens of queer people and it's not going to be like how we traditionally see like gay plight of like a white gay, normally like a white gay person or whatever like we're going to i'm going to give you a trans male character um and this book is not even really advertised as a as a queer book oh. but i think this is just it was so much more impactful that the way that this character was introduced it wasn't like this is a trans story, but it's one of those great examples of organically introducing queer characters in a way that doesn't consume the whole story. Yeah. Even if it does slay, Hollywood I love queer stories. Notes. But like, it's just cool that the trans character is there. They have a multifaceted personality. They're integral to a character story. And um, I lo- and they're hot, allegedly. Yeah, everyone was. Everyone is lusting after this boy. Yeah. It's scary that, not scary, but it's upsetting that it was so shocking. But no, I mean, I've read plenty of books that are like historical fiction. And when you know that a book is about racism and it's already tackling so many different themes, like we haven't even met the other twin of this pairing that we know are the main characters. So just to have this moment where it didn't feel like the, uh, the author was exploiting queerness to throw in a gay character to appease anybody because also this character is not gay they're trans but for lack of a better word i'll, I'll say queer well, queer character be, i think he, he does like experiment with gay men though oh maybe that's why that. he was at the clubs and stuff oh that was right yes 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 i i guess i just saw it as like they're trans so they're just be in a part of the gay community because they were like the bouncer but they at did, the club they did hook up with people though in the dark there was like a whole story. oh yes so okay another thing about this book is the person who wrote this did their research and it's like they highlight a lot of the obstacles of being trans and like turning to sex work mm-hmm. also hormones like yeah. this character found in like the 60s found yeah. access Illegal to hormones, hormones. like yeah. basically LA is the perfect setting because it's literally just them buying like street um Oh my God, what's the word? Um, Drugs? No. <laughs> no, like um, not not hormone, like the word for it, steroids. Yeah. Like buying steroids from like meathead men who yeah. just shoot up testosterone. That's literally what they did because they're trans. So they're like, what, how am I ever going to get hormones from a doctor? This whole like, the introduction of this queer character, like really, I think to me, like when you consider like the evolution of books and fiction it really speaks to like intersectional like representation where like before if you were writing a book about black people it was about the black experience and it wasn't much wider than that but now we see books all over the place that are tackling these larger more complex niches i i hate to say someone's like identity is a niche but like more encompassing issues like you can't talk about race all the time and just talk about race like gender comes into play and we see that in this book too how like these women are preyed on and abused and we see the history of queer men specifically queer black men and i mean they get into drag and they do balls too that's a nice little surprise to someone it's incredibly remarkable too that this is a story that takes place in archaic times, like <laughs> like like nineteen sixties, and oh my god, like we're getting to meet a trans character that isn't like in a mental hospital or being abused. Like yeah. that's beautiful. Like this, I will say, the state of life that this character earns for themselves is quite positive. Like mm-hmm. they're in a relationship, they work, um, and a and a huge their whole plot line is getting top surgery and they get their top surgery. Yeah. And it's like and, and also laces back in with the story again. Like it, it um because when they get their top surgery, it's like all the characters Jude meets up with Kennedy again. Like it just the uh, the it's a perfect thread. There's this perfect thread that's 
threaded through the whole book where everyone's connected and you get to learn through other people's perspectives. Like, oh, Reese is here for surgery in New York. So uh, I don't know what the surgery is for, but something with his chest. But we know that it's a top surgery. Yeah. Um, And I just loved it. Like, you really just got to see, like, you know, I love seeing queer people happy. Yeah. Especially not just in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this book, like, when we talk about the different perspectives, like... There are a lot of books that sort of just have one narrator and they're just relaying what they've heard. But I think something that's so interesting about this book is like, like you said, like when Kennedy goes goes to the hospital and doesn't know what uh, surgery that Reese is getting. Like to me, like that's such a fun, like little, like beautiful part about writing. Like it I makes it feel more real. I know. <laughs> It's like hi. It's true. <laughs> I don't. I don't think I could write a book and write from so many perspectives as successfully. And then continuously thinking does. about like, oh, what does this character know, and what does this character not know? Because mm-hmm. that changes how every scene plays out. Like you know. Yeah. Um, I it's guess- a lot of work. She put a lot of work because she- not only is it multiple perspectives, it's multiple decades of time. To write this book, I feel like I'd need to like cover my wall in like a giant visual board of a timeline sequence it's that complex but it's not that hard to read it's it makes sense as you're reading so it. easy to read yeah one because it's sort of addicting yeah yes this I, girl knows how to end chapters so well <laughs> so well i used to think that was like obviously like anyone who's read the hunger games um suzanne collins is sick <laughs> um she's a <laughs> twisted woman who ends <laughs> Her chapters insanely. Um, and I used to hate authors who do that. You have to do it the right way. Not to call out Suzanne Collins, but this author actually does it so tastefully. And also when the cliffhanger ends, you jump like 10 years to a different character. Yeah. So you're like, fuck. You're it's like, like even, it's the worst type of cliffhanger. Yeah, it's, it's like, hor- <laughs> yeah. It's the episode ends and you're not going to find out what happens for like three episodes later. Um, this book does a lot with... Um, current events like reading it in 2021 i was like oh still relevant like we have issues with like they highlight martin luther king yeah um they're nice like little touchstones because i think when you're reading a book like this that changes uh timelines a lot Mm -hmm. like bringing the real world events into it like really helps it grounds you in it and you're like oh yeah like i could picture these what's going on in these characters lives because you're actually describing what's going on in history like what it what it must have been like um, we have this white family who's like, oh, Martin Luther King, like, so sad he died. Like, he's such a great guy because we all know Martin Luther King is generally accepted as amazing person by people of all races. Um, but when he passed away or was murdered, um, we still have this perspective where they're like, oh, like, these black people are rioting. Like, I don't understand, like, why they destroy their own neighborhoods. And it's sick that those same words are will be on Fox News in 2020 um, with all of the crazy events that were happening in 2020 so um the author is just smart the way again it's a lot about the future and the past coming together Mm -hmm. and how you know we have these characters who i remember in one of the last chapters desiree is able to move on from mallard where she had been trapped for years now she trapped herself you could say um she didn't want to leave her her mother that was there but when her mother does pass away she says for the first time she was leaving mallard and looking ahead She never looked ahead. It was always covering her tracks. It was always, well, um, I need to get away. And I have to get away from this town. I have to get away from this idea that um, I'm I'm black, but I pass as white. And where am I? How am I going to navigate it? Where am I going to? How am I ever going to find happiness? I could never be happy in Mallard. But now she can officially leave. Something that Stella, honestly, I don't think ever earns for herself in her choices. And that's what's so. When she goes back at the very end and everything's gone, that's a heartbreaking scene. Mm -hmm. That, I was like, oof. (laughs) That was a big oof. (laughs) Yeah, she's sick. This woman is crazy, but it's almost like, it's not about whether, the author said in an article, like, I'm not trying to write, like, um, this, like, moral tale about racism. Like, everyone should know how to feel about racism. Mm -hmm. But it's more about, like, should we even feel negatively or punish someone for wanting to not be black? Um, and like, is Stella necessarily wrong for what she did? Is crossing over into a racial group that is already just 
a social structure, not even real. It's a social construct. Is that wrong? If race doesn't even technically exist, it's just in this country and around the world, we use race to justify everything. We have to categorize ourselves. And don't get me wrong, this book is not one of those books that's like, oh, we shouldn't see color. That's not the message at all. No. I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm saying that, but it's it's not supposed to teach you. I like, think what this book does, it sort of transcends the idea of race because she's so focused on that family. Like, she's so focused on Desiree mm-hmm. that it, it doesn't, it kind of isn't about race anymore. It's just about, like, not being with her sister anymore. Yeah, and it's not this character's fault that she wants to pass as white. That's the whole other thing. It's like, yeah. uh, white is, uh, at this time, always, it's associated with privilege, and she's wealthy because she's white. She has this husband and has all this money and opportunity because she's white. Is that wrong, that she wanted that? No. Should we be angry with her? Should Desiree be angry with her? Now, on a family level, sure, of course, feel betrayed, but... You're not meant to hate any of these characters. It's just you have to understand. You, when you see all of the layers to their motivations, it's just supposed to like make you think. And, and I've been thinking. The relationship between Kennedy and Stella, I think is a little bit more fun to talk about than the relationship of Jude and Desiree as mother and daughter because um, they're so, they're so, so different, Kennedy and Stella, but they're also so alike. Yeah. Like, Stella is a performer. She's an actress. She has everybody, like, whipped. She's like, yeah, I'm white. Like, don't worry about it. And is lit her life, she, she shows her love. Everything she does is through lies. Her whole life is built around lies. She's a performer. And then her daughter, who she doesn't think is anything like her, and she's disappoint- and is disappointed in, literally goes on to be a performer. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Goes on to be an actress. Against her um, mother's will. At first. At first, yes. But, and that's their whole conflict is that you want to drop out of college and just join a, you know, become an actress in some random theater in LA. And it hurts more because that's what Desiree wanted. Yes. And exactly. And it's just like, there's a lot about, there's quotes. Do you mind if I just run and get the book? Oh. Oh, he's going to reference. He's going to be like. <laughs> Let me just pull it out of my tell bar. It's right next On to page 297. Yeah. Desiree says, I quote. <laughs> holds on. Hold the phone. I okay. Do y'all book ear your pa- dog ear your pages? I know it's like a sin. Like I remember. You know being, what? You bought this book. You can do whatever you want to this because book. Because the librarians in um, elementary school were like, "We're gonna like cut off your hand yeah, if you dog ear." That's your because it was a library, and you have to respect a public. Isn't it property. sad? Like no one goes to libraries. I mean, I still get books from the library, but I never but go they're in. Not real books, right? Oh, well, they're not like physically in your hands, right? Okay. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm sure they're real. I val- what this I'm is saying how- is I value the library structure. I don't. <gasps> <laughs> Out of all the things that the no, government gives us, you're going to no. say libraries are the worst. <laughs> no, but I feel like libraries should just be like free. They are free. No, you pay not. with them with your taxes. What? That's why you have to show a proof of where you live when you sign up for a library card. No one ever said libraries are free. Yes, they are. The school library. No, like public libraries are free. How do you get a membership? You have to show them proof of your your where you live. Okay. And if, if you're within I'm the district, I am truly brainwashed by American if, capitalism because I cannot fathom that I can go and just get books. Read See, that's why you don't go to the library. <laughs> uh, no. As long as you live. What in the library? Co- all of them. No. <laughs> As long as you live in the county that you're paying taxes for, that we're paying for the library. Your taxes are paying for your library. Well, I actually need to look at my taxes. Guys, I dog-eared some pages, and I'm trying to figure out why. He's taking his time. There's some really good quotes. I have one quote that's stuck in my mind for some reason. What, girl? Share with the class. Um, They're talking about Jude, because Jude obviously has this complex about her skin and how beautiful she is. And um, I forget. Tyra, though, would think she's stunning. I'm gonna... That's true. <laughs> exactly, because what I'm going to say next, yeah. I, there was a quote that said, I forget who said it to her, but they said that Jude wasn't ugly. She was just difficultly beautiful. It might have been Reese, but it kind of sounds wrong. coming. I, from I feel like it was like Desiree or something. Yeah, because I feel like Reese just sees her unconditionally beautiful. Yeah. doesn't have to define it. But he does say to her, I think, like, that blue eyeshadow oh, looks maybe, beautiful on you. Maybe it was Stella. 
No, not Stella. Um, Kennedy. Oh, because remember, probably. Kennedy was like, "Why is Reese with you?" Like, no offense, but like, beautiful yeah. men like him wouldn't be with you. And it's not that you're ugly; it's just you're difficultly beautiful. And she's like, "Well, actually, bitch, your mother's black." <laughs> and then she leaves. She leaves. Yeah, <laughs> I such. And then flags. they don't see each other for like five years. Yeah, the the main uh, it's a lot about climax fate. of the book is that Jude knows. That Stella, because simply her, Stella is an identical twin with her mother. Yeah. So when she sees Stella at a party um, that she's catering, she's like, oh my God, this is the fated, wistfully unknown she enigma. never met Stella. Never. And has only heard her whole life how her mother is desperately searching for her. And she's this secret enigma. She realizes, oh my God, that's Stella. And going on from there, ends up through a series of coincidences, finding her way back to meeting Kennedy again, and is like, this is Stella's daughter, let me get close to her. And um, in a moment of rage, because Kennedy is ultimately weaponizing like racism to mm-hmm. hurt Jude's feelings, saying, your boyfriend, he's not normally with girls like you, um, whatever. And she's like, yeah, well, actually, baby, you're black. So let me hit the road now. And they don't see each other for such a long time. And um, that's when you see all the pieces finally start to fall back together. Because yeah. she even gets to confront Stella. And is like, and that this was the, ga- I think one of the gaggiest parts to read. Um, and so suspenseful was when she's like, hi, like my mother is, and this is, this is a dude who is obviously incredibly dark skinned talking to Stella who knows her sister looks exactly like her. And she's like, hi, so like my mom's name, um, it's like Desiree Vines. And so I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, and basically threatens her mm-hmm. and it's like, like, don't even like never talk to me like ever again. Um, and that's her impetus to return and to I don't Mallory. think they ever talk again. They never do. And that's what I, I'll say I didn't like about this book. Only thing I didn't like is that I was sad that Stella does return to Mallard. Her mother at that point has Alzheimer's, but Desiree is there. And they get to have one last night together as sisters where they basically, they just like accept each other's apologies they they forgive each other and the years and it's like they respect that each of them made their decisions and there is no going back but um they are important to each other it's just in this world that they both created it's the world that's keeping them apart it's not their love for each other but Mm -hmm. Stella cannot sacrifice i mean decades of her life because what it would mean for her daughter her husband everything She's terrified. She would, she'd be sacrificing I mean, her safety. That's a horrifying situation to be in. Yeah, it's horrifying. And I think Desiree's like, look, like you did put yourself there, but I respect there's now there's nothing you can do. Mm-hmm. So I can't, I think Desiree, I think accepts and yeah. moves on. Well, she says like when she wakes up and she sees that um, Stella's not there, she knew that she wouldn't be there. Yeah. And she never returns even when her mother passes away. And I think another beautiful part of this is that, um, Kennedy, the daughter of Stella, finds out that her grandmother, who she never met, has passed away. Mm-hmm. And Jude gives her the option, like, do you want to tell your mom? Do you want to tell Stella? And she's like, no, she'd want me to lie. Because that's our relationship. It's just lies. And she she shows love through living in this lie. Yeah. Stella has chosen to live her life in ignorance to everything because that's the price you have to pay Um to not be yourself. And there is this quote that I really like that plays into the theme of like the other half of you or the hidden half of you or living your life in two separate parts. And it says, you know, you could live your, you, you could live your life this way split as long as you know who is in charge. Um, as, and I don't think Stella knows who's in charge. That's mm-hmm. the thing. I don't think she knows, am I black or am I white? Um, and that's an internal conflict that she has to live with for the rest of her life. And ironically, this quote has to do with Barry, who's the gay drag queen, because, like, he is a drag queen two uh, mm. weekends a month or something. And that that's was relegated. That an interesting pull for her. Yeah. To use that the as way sort that of an this allegory. other can connect. Yeah. yeah. Like, Barry himself is an allegory for, I'm a, I think, a science teacher or something. Mm-hmm. I'm a man. I identify as a man. I'm confident in my masculinity, but I have my outlet where I get to perform as something else and I won't let it take over. Yeah. I, it's something that I do that I can escape into where I feel that, I guess you could say, that privilege of that fame and that fantasy of being a, a queen. 
but that's where I keep it. Mm-hmm. And as long as you know who's in charge, it's healthy. Yeah. Um, Stella, I don't think has that bound. She doesn't have that line drawn well. It's not it's, a line. It's a, there's a it's blurred a, line. It's not even like two separate parts. It's like all mixed up in her. Yeah. And that's why she is the most complex character yeah. in the book. For sure. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Um, Vanishing Half is a very complex book. To say the least. <laughs> oh my God. I love that Jude becomes a doctor. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> because she gets obsessed with bodies. Yeah. Remember when you said that in real life? A real life episode? Wait, I did? Yeah, you said, You're Wallace is obsessed me. with bodies. <laughs> and now, she, literally, she says in the book, I'm obsessed with bodies. Yeah, it's like, specifically <laughs> the heart. Yeah. And I was like, oh my god, where's name? Oh my god, the heart. There's two parts of a heart. Okay. Two perfect halves. That's the thing. This book, it's literally like physically like imagery. There's a lot of physical imagery. Like literally. It's, it plays a lot with like, I mean, obviously like halves. So mm. everything's a have. <laughs> have, or have you know what was funny though? Like uh, Kennedy and dude never called each other cousins. No. And it's they were like, like my, my. Stella's daughter. Yeah. yeah. She's like, your grandma died. And yeah. she's like, you mean like our grandma? <laughs> like, it's it's weird. And it's, it's, it's the But word. those the scenes Rick- when they were together were cute. Like, I thought they were so cute in New York. <laughs> yeah. Like, I also like the power play of like Kennedy, who was given all this privilege and sort of um, lost. Flourished. Not flourished. She let it. She, I don't want to say wasted her privilege. She let it get away. Yeah, she let her privilege get away. Ends up working in this, like, coffee shop. And yeah. she's like, oh, hey, girl. Yeah, I'm, I'm in medical school. <laughs> and it's, like, this flex because when we meet them, uh, Jude is not, never envious. That's why, like, Jude is, ne- she really is just not dark-spirited at all. Yeah. And, but she recognizes, like, this girl, oh, my God. Like, how, she's so obnoxious. She's but so she demanding. But she still loves him, like, for some reason. Because it's the only family, like, she has. Yeah. And it's, like, she wants to get to know Kennedy because she wants to get to know Stella. But also, it's, like, this is her only bridge to anything. And she works these menial little jobs, like, being an usher at this um, theater just to get close to Kennedy. Where now, years later now, we see Jude has achieved her goals. She has outdone all of her expectations. She has her handsome hot boyfriend who's getting what he deserves. Um, And it's just one of those books where it's like, yeah, they got what they deserved. Like, they literally got what they deserved. And it's very, very satisfying to read. And I think, like, you know, it's also a symbol of, like, the consequences of their parents' actions, how they've ricocheted. Like, Stella is a liar. If you needed another book about parenting... Like, yeah, this book sort of illustrates that Stella was never a good parent because she was never a good. She's never true to herself. How yeah. could you raise a child? You know, you're supposed to give your child any good parent or just naturally. She, her whole life was a lie. So what do you expect your child to feel about you? Exactly. Like if you can't even trust your mother and you're an only child and you don't know anything about their family, there's nothing for there's no legacy for Stella to give to her daughter and her daughter's identity ends up sort of symbolically lost Kennedy doesn't know what she wants to be or who Mm -hmm. she is and Stella had this whole vision for herself to have this sort of perfect life of privilege that she sacrificed so much for and it ended up being that her own daughter is the one that ends up undoing this whole plan because her daughter meets her secret niece so it's also a great message of bitch the past will come back to bite you the past and the future will meet and when they do baby is it rough but beautiful but beautiful, even though the sisters never end up together. I know. I really wanted like an epilogue of like, and then they were just in the rocking. Chair. I thought I actually I didn't think they were gonna get back together because at some point it felt hopeless, and I felt like we were going to see them die. Like I, I thought know. we were going to go all the way to their deaths, but I was surprised it stopped we right didn't. before it. But. Jude leaves um, after the funeral of her grandma. They go in like the creek, and, and they're they, like hanging out. Yeah, and it's like oh, they're happy, and I think it's like. The way it ends, it's like, this is why I think it's very much Jude's story, too. Mm. It's like, well, she fought herself, fought to get away from this town for so long, and now she gets to return with her hot boy, who, you know, again, is someone who represents, like, the intersectionality of queerness and race. And they're like, but we're just happy here, actually. This is our town. Because guess what? It's our home. They just shed their clothes. They're not, like, they're, they're naked and they're in the water. They're naked in their hometown. Yeah, it's beautiful. Come on, that's beautiful. 
Okay. Yeah. yeah anyway. Bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what I found really interesting was that Britt Bennett's mother gave her the idea for this book. <gasps> and her mother grew up in Louisiana and told her about a town where light-skinned black people purposely intermarry and try to generally, generationally lighten the skin tone of, of their town. There we go. And she was like, hold, and in this interview, she's like, I held on to that thought and I was like, I'm going to do something with this. Eugenics in the making. Scary. But yeah, another another <laughs> moment of, a, of an author like basing something off of real life. You know, I hate how much we say the words real life. Because, you know... <laughs> We really did ourselves in with that one. Yeah. You know what? Listen to our this episode. This is Brandon Taylor's fault for naming yes, that book real life. Absolutely. Like, I hate him. Like, he ruined my life. Like, I can never say anything reminds me of real life. It's a lot like anyone who's a blink out there, not to bring them back into the world, but how fucking obnoxious to name your album the album. Oh, my God. I almost broke You know, she, they should talk to Brandon Taylor. Yeah. They're all... They're the book. The con... <laughs> <laughs> This book is a 10 out of 10, maybe a 4.5 out of 5. How does 10 out of 10? That's not mathematically correct. What are but, you... Uh, <laughs> like, I thought I was bad at math. No. How do you simplify that equation? I think then it would be like... One out of one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm like really good at math. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't know if this book is like 100% perfect. And I don't think this podcast is about reading books, but... Oh, it it's was, a good book. It's amazing. It's that's why probably this book, one of my favorites that we've read for this podcast. Oh, I think it's, well, yeah. Right now, it's my favorite. On episode five, my favorite. Well, Bye, I think we everyone. mentioned Rosé twice. I guess you know you're, you're the, I guess you know you're that bitch when you call all that conversation, but. You're the one who brought up Demi last episode. <laughs> for good measure, I'm just going to say I love Jisoo. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Goodbye. Thanks for listening. This has been Rob. I love Jisoo. This is Geraldine. <laughs> That's little. <gasps> <laughs> Stop the recording. Stop. Stop. Bye.